Hey everyone, Dave Broadback here. This is the uh, audio for a lecture uh, in Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. It used to be called Design and Analysis 1, but we didn't think that name was scary enough. Also check out the uh, YouTube uh, videos of uh, these uh, lectures. I guess I've now just committed myself to doing the YouTube videos. Anyway, check out my YouTube channel and you can find them there. Or also at my blog, people.ac.ca slash broadback slash blog. If you like statistics, Okay, last topic. The track was wild. Yay! Whoa. Um. Last time we talked about simple one-to-one variable relationships, right? And often we are interested in those things. But that would height and weight. Yeah. Um, we talked about the, well, it's not technically regression, the idea of, you know, calculating somebody's salary. If there's a simple formula. So both, let's say it's not that simple. And straight line kind of thing. Yeah, but say the correlation between two variables is 0.5. So the correlation is 0.5. And we know the co- R equals the covariance divided by S sub X times S sub Y. Like, that's what it equals, right? How much variance is accounted for by one variable in another? The hardest part, by the way, of this last topic is you have to start thinking of variance as a thing. And that's not an entirely easy thing to do. It's counterintuitive in a way. Okay? And I get that. But if we have two variables, they each have variance, okay? How much is the variance in one variable accounting for the variance in another? Think of a ridiculous example like height in centimeters or height in inches. It's exactly the same variance, right? Because they're both about height. They're just measured with different ruler. Okay? They share 1.0 or 100% of their variance. We have two variables that are correlated to 0.5, which... For anybody here, read a lot of social or personality psychology stuff, you know, 0.3, they love that stuff. That's when they, they get all excited about 0.3 up as a correlation. 0.5, that's when we start to get things like in the IQ score and income. Okay? Which is, you know, and people get genuinely excited about that, psychologists. But you're not actually accounting for half the variance. R deals with standard deviations. When we talk about variance, we have to square it, right? So R, in fact, equals, or R squared equals 0.25. In other words, if we look at IQ score and income, which do correlate about 0.5, that says that your IQ is, is, is measuring a quarter of the same variance that your variance in, uh, the, 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 yeah, the variance in income. Okay? You think of them overlapping, where they share that variance. So variance, again, as I said, you have to think of variance as a thing, which is not an incredibly easy thing to do, because it's not something you're probably used to doing. That's the first deal. But secondly, you really have to think about this as two things can share variance. Okay? So you've accounted for 25% of the shared variance. And that's lots. It's a quarter. What, what about the other 75%? Right? 
What about the other 75% of earnings that's left? There must be other variables that account for the rest of the variables. You might say to yourself, oh, well, it's just an error. Individual differences. Actually, that's usually just a way of us saying that's stuff we don't know, and there must be other variables that we can So we have to think what these other variables might be. We add extra predictor variables. Before, remember, we had y equals uh, a plus bx. We're just going to have more x variables. We're going to have x1, x2, x3, etc. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. Now that's called. So here's our, the thing we're trying to predict. That's y. This is the variance in y. Okay? And then we have x1. This is the variance in x1. They overlap. That looks like about a quarter, actually. Maybe a little less, but let's just pretend it's exactly a quarter. That means there's 75% left, or whatever percentage is left, on y there. Now we have another x variable, and it accounts for a different bit of y variance. We still have some left. It's rare that you're going to come up with a model. It's called model building. It's rare that you're going to come up with a model that actually accounts for all the variance in y. It happens that this be very inconvenient. In psychology, it would be perceptual or cognitive systems, things like that. Okay. It's not going to happen in something like IQ and something else. It just isn't going to happen. We had a model, we had a couple other guys had a model of animal timing that accounted for 99.8% of the variance. That's the of course, So, okay, questions about this? Because I want you to understand those. Circles are the variance in y, the variance x1, the variance x2, When you're saying y is 75%, yeah. right? And then x1 is 0.5? Yeah. Or do you just say kind of split between x2 and x1 to make them both? And are you looking at individually? They're each accounting for, assuming this actually is overlapped, 25%, they're each accounting for 25% of the variance in y. They are sharing okay. the variance. Okay. Yeah. Good question. Does this make sense so far? Because I know it's a little weird thinking of variance as a thing you can touch and hold. It's a, it's a very odd thing, actually. Oh, sorry, go um, So they each overlap 0.5% of the Y's variance. I know that they don't overlap with each other's variance. Oh, this right now is what's called the best of all possible worlds. Okay. <laughs> they almost always do overlap with each other. Okay. Yes, it's very, it's very good and prescient question because we will get there. But let's pretend that the world is working perfectly. And we're accounting for unique variants, which we almost never are. But yeah, that's a yeah, good question. And that's a good point. I mean, I mean, if this was, if this was income, why? 
And this was IQ points. And this was years of education, which also correlates with income. I think we probably agree that years of education is also going to overlap with IQ. Of course, your people with the IQs of around 70 don't go to a lot of schooling after a while. You know, they kind of stop. Right? They end up in New York. Sorry, I went to UFT, so we make New York jokes. It's okay. It's a joke. It's a joke. I won't say anything about anything here. You can imagine what the joke is yourself, right? Your own picture. So, the world really doesn't work this way, but let's pretend it does right now. Okay? In general, though, we have a model that looks like this. Y hat equals b sub 0 plus b sub 1 x sub 1 b 2 x 2 plus dot 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 plus b sub p minus 1 x sub p minus 1 plus e. So we don't, we don't say a plus bx. a is the same as the b sub 0. This is the coefficient for the zeroth independent variable, in other words, or predictive variable. In fact, so, so it's not for a variable, it's, the, it's where everything else equals zero. You have p minus one predictor variable. <coughs> you have p terms, because we have b sub zero, you have if p terms, p minus one predictors. Because then you say your p plus one predictors, or p predictors and p minus one, sorry, p minus one predictors, p terms in the model. Okay. So you have p minus 1 predictor variables. It's not p, it's p minus 1. p for prediction. I actually don't know if that stands for that, but I like to remember it that way. Helps me. And this is actually for the data set. These are statistics, these are not parameters. Think, thinking back to analysis of variance, where we had you know, x equals u plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon which you can probably all do that quickly now as well. Um, those are actually parameters, right? Because they're all Greek letters. Usually, we think parameters, Greek letters are parameters. Uh, Latin letters are statistics. These are statistics. This is from our data set. This is actually what we get from our data set. So when we actually calculate this stuff, we get different numbers for b sub 0, b sub 1, b sub 2, dot, 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 b sub p minus 1. Okay? Madison, you got a question or are you just doing that? No, that's good. You good? Okay. It's funny that I actually was able to see that from there, isn't it? It's In the population, this is, now these, these are parameters. Y equals beta sub 0 plus beta sub 1 x sub 1 plus dot 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 plus epsilon. You will, by the way, hear people call those Bs. In fact, a lot of statistics software calls them beta weights. They really shouldn't be called betas, they should be called Bs, but it's become convention, so people call them beta. It's too bad because they really should be called Bs, but. Oh, by the way, this, these individual differences, that's what these are. The epsilons are normally distributed and depend from each other with a mean of zero and a variance of sigma squared sub epsilon. Sound vaguely familiar? It's exactly the same assumption we have in ANOVA for epsilon, right? It literally is the same thing. And epsilon is not prediction error, whereas E in the model for a data set is prediction error. This is not prediction error. 
This is leftover variance, or what we like to call individual variance, or you know, individual differences. And all individual differences are are things we can't measure. <laughs> it's all they are. Things that are in the law, things that are left over, or as we call them in regression, residual. I always find it interesting that in statistics we tend to call things we don't measure or can't measure. That's ah, just error. It's actually not error. It's stuff we haven't measured. But it's almost as hubris. Well, if I can't measure it, it must be some kind of mistake. It's an error. You're wrong. So epsilon is not prediction error. It's actually individual variation. So we can put in all kinds of different values for, and let's say we're doing a very simple one. So we had p minus 1 equal 2. So we had some value that everyone gets. That's the this. Plus something times your IQ plus something times your years of education equals your income. And let's say it comes out and it says that with my IQ and my limited capabilities, my many years of education, we plug that into the formula and it comes out and it says I should make $89,000 a year. And I make more money now. That's where the error comes in, the individual variation, because there's other stuff in there. My stick-to-itiveness and moxie. <laughs> oh, God, I'm running out of things to say. Uh, it's the end of the term, and I just have lost the will to live. Uh, anyway, so, you see that, though? So, that's extra stuff I haven't measured. My dashing persona, you haven't measured that, and that's also what's giving me an extra X number of facets of the bullets. So that's, yeah, we get, get a formula, right? Looks like this. And notice it's not y hat. This is actually saying the world works like this. This isn't a prediction. It's saying that y, in our case income, is a linear combination of these things. Okay. Question so far. Does this make sense so far? It's a little different than what we dealt with before. So again, it's, it's why not predictable. Guys, <laughs> doing your own show over here? Is that what's You passing around liquor or something? And you like? I'd like, I'd like a drink. <laughs> Beverage alcohol is my favorite flavor. <laughs> Did you say there was ethanol? All right. Question so far. You good with this? Is the laser green anybody's eye? No? Okay. I want to look straight at it like an idiot. Because I'm stupid. So, what do we get? We get, if we have P minus 1, we get a line. Because P minus 1 equals is X, is the number of X's. Right? We get a line. Now, P minus 1 equals 2, we get a surface or a plane. So we have got more dimensions, right? So if my phone, so if we've got just, there's Y, there's X, there's the line. Now, if we've got another X variable, oh, now we've got depth. A surface or a plane. And text messages. Okay. My daughter and my wife are talking about things they're buying. It's birthday. 
He's 17 today. Woke me up at 5 o'clock. Just kept looking at him. Okay. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? My birthday. I know, I'm well aware of this. He's looking for presents. Eh? So I got up. I didn't have to get up. I didn't teach out a meeting with Brianna at 10 30 for academic advising. I could have slept in, but no. John wanted his presents at 6 15. I just I put it off to 7, and it's like, okay. Here's Rainbow Six Siege, and here's Blade Runner 2049. Uh, 2048, whatever it is. Uh, Blu ray. He's happy with that. Anyway, time on Xbox Live, Jay Brother. Kick your ass. Okay. But there's nothing. There's nothing weirder than him saying in a headset, "A leader, I'm going to kill you." <laughs> it's really creepy. Funny, <laughs> <laughs> Mike. I don't know if you guys know the guy who goes live, but Ken Herndon was really close friends with Ken. So John was like six at the time, and Ken was over, and they're playing in two separate rooms because we have lots of consoles and. They're playing Halo. He said, there's nothing weirder than hearing an autistic kid say in your computer, Halo, in your headphones, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I saw Ken's character just hiding. He just had no idea what to do. It was great. <laughs> then at the end, he says, thanks for the battle. The people say, it's good, good, good manners. Doesn't rage quit nearly as hot as he used to? I still do. So, that is our plane. You guys heard about this? Did you ever do, uh, you know, Cartesian coordinates, X's and Y's? You did that, right? Did you do three-dimensional coordinates, X's, Y's, and Z's? Yeah. yeah, right? Now, the Z, we don't call it a Z, we call it X2. Okay? Now, the problem is, what happens if you get, yeah, there you go. Two gems go right there. Yeah. It's like this. So there's Y, there's X, but then... This would be a Z. It comes up like that. So you got a plane. Now, just because we can only think into three dimensions, we could do four dimensions. If we did, if P minus one is greater than two, we get what's called a hyperplane in hyperspace. <laughs> Spit up the facet and light drive. Do your job. Fight the frack toasters. That was her life. Now, I, my stats prof had a way of imagining this, and he said that he could think of it as time, and that then the plane starts moving. I can't do that. <laughs> and then he said he could go one more and it would change color. It's like, I can't do that either. That's insane. So you have an intuitive feel for statistics to that. You can't do that. You can't think in full five dimensions. No, yet I can't. I'm a human. And he was a fracking toaster. So it's nice to imagine a line. In fact, you can draw a line. That's easy. You can imagine a surface. It takes a little longer if you've never played with three-dimensional coordinates before, but you can do it. Trying to imagine a hyperplane in hyperspace is probably a mistake. Um, I've been trying to teach you all along to do things intuitively and get a feel for things. It's hard to do that with this. It's best to just imagine it as a freaking formula and nothing more. If you can think in four and five dimensions, go nuts. Way to go, you're great, but I can't do that. And most, most normal people can't. Maybe you're weird a little. A little freak, can you do that? A bit of a weirdo. So maybe you can do it if you can. That's more power to you. That's wonderful. But I can't. 
we can find that if our regression model is significant, have we explained the significance of the variance in the thing we're trying to predict in Y using analysis of variance? Because what's analysis of variance do? It says that we well, it's about variance, and it says significance. Oh, yeah. Well, why don't we use that? Yeah, ANOVA, just when they you thought it was safe to come out, it's ANOVA 2, the revenge. Yeah, that's right, I guess. It's, it's, it's ANOVA 3 and 3D. Sorry, who, who would be in the ANOVA movie? Who's somebody who doesn't ever turn down a script? I don't know. Nicholas Cage. Yes, it would be Nicholas Cage. It's definitely Nicholas Cage and the baby button Kane. Also, is the next person. He's very old, still. So. Oh, you'd say she's a new button. Can't do Nicholas Cage. <laughs> so, we have two kinds, two sources of variation. We have variance due to, the, to regression. In other words, the whole model. And residual. So all that stuff, and then E. And our question is, is all that other stuff, is that more variance, is that a significant amount of variance? So yeah, I know. So I'm not going to tell you how you calculate the sum of squares. No one does these by hand. But the degrees of freedom will be P minus 1 for regression, N minus P for residual, and N little N minus 1 total. What's N in this case? It's the number of records. Okay, so if you think of this, if you were setting this up in SPSS, you would have the value for variable x1, the value for x2, the value for x3, whatever, and maybe your dependent variable. And if you had like 500 records, 500 lines, you have that 499 degrees of freedom. So P minus 1 predictors, little n minus P, that's the residual. And then we take the mean squared regression, divide by the mean squared residual, and we see if we get a significant F. We bloody well better get a significant F. We've got all those variables there, they better explain a significant amount of variance. If they don't, you don't know what you're doing. You're not going to pick numbers. Uh, sort of variables that it wouldn't work. Remember, we're building a model here. This is a different kind of thing to do with an experiment, per se, necessarily. So, one thing is the sum of its parts. In other words, all of the stuff together, b sub 0, b sub 1, b sub 2, b sub 3, all those things together, they pretty well better be significant, right? It's not about the individual variables. It's not about x1 or x2 or x3 or whatever. It's about the whole model. Of course it's going to be significant. It's always significant. So if we had, again, we're predicting people's income, and we had their user education, their IQ, or what's something else that would correlate with your income? That we can measure, by the way. Don't say something else. But <laughs> don't say something ridiculous. What's something we can measure? Happiness? Yeah, that's true. That's, that's, that's nice. Okay, so that's good. What's something else? Do we correlate with your income? Socioeconomic status. Yeah, that kind of is your income. Your parents. Your parents' income. That's probably true. Okay, that's four that we know would calculate. Would, 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 that's that's going to be a lot of the parents. Probably quite a bit of the parents. Okay, let's throw in something else. Uh, how long your 
middle finger on your left hand is. Uh, and how about how much saliva you produce when a cracker's put in your mouth. And, oh, I don't know, how tall you are measured in pennies. You stack pennies up, say tall you are. Now, none of those probably, you know, the height one might, uh, probably correlate too highly with your income. They hardly explain any of the variants. But if we had those in our model, would you then say, oh, there's a number of pennies and taller you are? How, how many pennies taller are you, son? It sounds like something an old person would say. Hey, Sonny, how many pennies tall are you? Well, when I was young, we used to say you were three nickels. I don't know. Anyway, the hell I'm even doing it. Again, I don't know what I'm doing at this point. I've lost everything. But those variables are ridiculous. But if they were in our model, we would say, yes, So it's about the whole model. We know the ones we wouldn't care about, the ones we would care about. We had four reasonable ones and three ridiculous ones. How many pennies tall are you, sonny? You start saying that to people, and I don't know what that, by the time I'm really old, I know you want to think I am, I'm only 52, but I, when I'm old, I want that to spread around. About old, old, old people. And then that and my other, you know, kind of thing I'm trying to get back. Not that this one's an old, you know, I made that, I just made that pennies tall enough, but the other one I want to get back into the vernacular, I want people to start calling marijuana grass again. It's going to be legal soon, and you know, because I watch Mad Men a lot, like always, and they're always talking about smoking grass, and it's like, oh, the 60s were great. Let's all start calling grass. I'm going to start, I hope that's spreading right So we need a finer grain analysis. How many pennies tall? I don't know where the hell I get these things. Oh, you don't want to be in here. It's not good. Um, so actually, the model's going to be significant. It's just going to be. But we want to be concerned with how much extra variation we've accounted for by adding another variable into the model. So we started that with income and IQ, right? So now we want to care about how much extra variance in Y is accounted for by bringing in, that was the next one, uh, was the years of education. How much extra variance is accounted for by that? That's the question. That's the interesting question we're asking. And that's because that, that's called R, big R squared, which is sum of squares regression, or sum of squares total. Okay? That's how much the total model, all the overlaps with Y, divided by what's left, but by the total amount, rather, of Y. Okay? So if I was to draw that on the board. Where's a good place over here? Okay. Yeah. So here we have y. That's the variance in y. And here's x1. And here's x2. And here's x3. It's all of the shaded areas I'm doing here divided by y. So it's going to be, so going to be a proportion of the variance in y accounted for by the whole model. But our, the thing we really care about is when we add x4 in, when we add x4 in, so we're shooting that in a different direction, 
how much extra variance are we accounting for? And you can probably guess the question we're really asking is, is it enough that we care? Because almost everything has a small correlation with everything else, but does it matter? The length of your middle finger on your left hand, well, that probably does somehow correlate with your income. You know why? Because taller people make more money than shorter people. It's not a huge thing, but it's a thing. Right? And you're probably taller you are, the bigger your middle finger, sorry, your middle finger is. I really honestly was not meaning to give you, because I never do it with the left hand. I would never do that. What about Dan DeVito? What about what? Dan DeVito. See? I said correlation, I didn't say causation. <laughs> but also, I mean, as a rule, we like taller people. Well, we all know it's a weird thing, it's stupid, and it's just probably an evolutionary explanation for it. Right? But the correlation is so small that it doesn't probably matter either. It's probably a very tiny amount of variance. Right? So if we did, it's probably like, Thing Does that even matter? Probably not. Probably not. Is it real? Sure, fine, it's real, but who gives a shit? Like, it doesn't matter. It's so little extra variance that we don't care. So we're going to care about is a change in our square when we bring in another variable into the model. So we add a variable. Let's say you've got five x variables, which we have, we have here. When you add a sixth variable, does R squared go up? Is it, it must. It can't go down. It could stay at zero, or it could, it could be exactly the same, but that means there's literally no overlap between that sixth variable and Y. And the chance of that actually happening is almost zero. It's almost nil. But does it matter, is the question. Right? The question is, how, by how much does R squared go up? Big R squared. We've lost a degree of freedom. Every time we add remember, another predictor variable, we've lost degrees of freedom. We want as many degrees of freedom as we can get. Degrees of freedom will make us happy. We've also got increased complexity to a model. If we go from a line to a plane, or a surface, whatever you want to call it, that's okay, right? Most of us can deal with that. It's a little hard to imagine, but you can actually, uh, any piece of graphing program will print you a 3D graph, right? So that's totally cool. No problem. If you go from a surface that I can print that to a hyperplane in hyperspace, that's when you make, you got to make a judgment call. You say, now I can't actually draw this for anybody. I can write out an equation. But that's a big step I just took. I can't print it out and show people, see, this is what it looks like. I now have to say, yeah, here's the equation. So that's usually a big step. And whenever we get extra complexity, things get harder to understand. And every time you add an extra variable, it's a little harder to understand. So we need something other than a big R squared to look at to determine if we should add another variable. This is something called adjusted R squared. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to reproduce this on a quiz or something. And if it was on the final exam, hey, look, it's written right there. Copy it out. Big R squared is 
n minus 1 divided by n minus p times sum squared error divided by sum squared total. Cool. So in fact, what that does is it's weighting it. Adjust that our squared can go up and down. That's nice. So it's weighted by the number of variables in the model, and actually these go down when more variables are added. We want something that can go down and go up. So we want something that can go down and go up. Something we can look at and say, okay, we added that next variable in and, and adjusted our square actually went down. That's not good. is we, we are making a lot more judgment calls in regression model building than we would ever do in some like analysis variance. Because I can say, how much does our squared have to go up to, to, put a, to keep a variable in the model? And you know what your answer is? Enough. And that's, it's somewhat subjective. It's not like F-test where you go, uh, 0.05, done, good. So here's an example. We have Here's a, a, a regression model. It's not really a model. I'm just saying this is with only x and y. It's y equals some. And when I say this is a y equals x1 model, I mean it's y equals the intercept plus b1x1 plus error. But I'm just using a shorthand saying it's just x1. So only x1 is in the model. So put that one over there. And this one is with x, only x2 is in the model. Only x2, no other things. And as you know, we can go with x1 and x2. So we have y equals the intercept plus b1x1 plus b2x2 plus error. That would be that one. Remember what the sum of squares are? They're measures of variation. Not variance per se, but variation. Just a somewhat different term. Which one do you think there is the best model? Which one would you say I would be confident? I would like to tell people that. That's the good one. So we have two one-variable models and a two-variable model. And that's all we've measured. So we don't have any three-variable models lying around. There's no x3 lying around. Which is the worst model? Which one would you go out with money is that one? Joe? X2 is the worst one? Yeah, I think X2 is the worst one. Why? Your S3 is really small. This is 30 out of 130. Remember how you calculate our square? It's sum of squares regression over sum of squares total. Sum of squares total is 130. 30 divided by 130. What is that, about 22? 22, something like that? Let's see. So 30, divided by 130, 23, sorry. So your R squared is 0.23. 
Over here, did anybody follow so far what I did? I just took regression, sum squares for regression, go to my sum squares total, which is this plus this. So is it? That's it's, it's yeah. Go away. I am giving you the figure. Okay. This one here. What do we have? We have fifty out of one thirty. That's good. Fifty out of one hundred and thirty is. Uh, About 58.58. Is that right? It can't be that high. That's right. Okay. Not bad. Yeah, I screwed up the arithmetic. But I think Curtis has a point. X1, X2 is 80 out of 130. 8 thirteenths. level of complexity here. These are lines and that's a that's a surface. Would you confident like you I'd be okay. I feel like I'd be okay with it, but right? Because you can draw it You could like, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You can draw it simple. It's uh, printable. You could like I couldn't draw a 3D picture, but I know a printer can, so I'm happy. It's not high in space. No, exactly. So we're not going up to a three variable model, right? And going back to Joey's question at the very beginning of the class, do X1 and X2 overlap? In other words, are they explaining any of the same variance in Y? So look at that. Are X1 and X2 explaining the same variance in Y or unique variance? Unique variance. And, and how did you come to that conclusion? Because you're right, it's unique. Now, how did you come to that conclusion or are you guessing? I didn't guess. I just based on the fact that REG for the value of 50 there adds to the value of 30 and makes 80. If the sum of squares regression for x1, x2 was less than 80, they must overlap sum x1, x2. But in this case, they don't. The world never works like this, but this is an example I cooked up. So, 
And then we have overlap, which is actually the way the universe really works. Unless you've designed an experiment to work a different way. There are, there are times when you can make it, you can contrive the world to work a certain way, and that's usually the very clever experiments are. But we're not usually talking about experiments through regression models. Usually we're talking about larger data sets and we're trying to make these predictions. One of the students Do you have questions so far? Do you want to keep going? Or do you want like, a couple more slides? Or do you want to stop and process this? I'm okay either way. I mean, we're way, we're well in time. There's no problem. Hyperspace. What's that? Hyperspace. Hyperspace. Already thinking about that's a little bit much, but. You want to go one more? One more. So we can, we can calculate sums of squares. Remember I talked about with empty cells and all that stuff? How there's type 1, type 2, type 3, and type 4 times the sums of squares? Type 2 sums of squares are actually really only useful for regression. Type 1 sums of squares depend upon the order something goes into a model. So if we put x1 in first, things are really different than if we put x2 in first. Because of the overlap, right? And the unique variance it's accounted for. Is it anything more unique? Okay? Type 2 sums of squares don't care. They're called conditional sums of squares. And what they do is they say, with this already in the model, how much extra? That's the interesting question. We want to know how much extra. We don't really care about the whole model. We care about how much extra. So let's see if we have three variable model. X1, X2, X3. It's actually, sorry, this has to be two slides. So we have x1, x2, x3. Yeah, I can't, I can't stop here. It'd be ridiculous to stop here. And five days later, we'll go back. So we have three variables and a y, obviously. The type 1 sum of squares for x1 is sum of squares regression for x1. And that's it in the model. Now, the type 2 sum of squares for x2 is actually the sum of squares regression for x1 and x2. It's just how to calculate it. The type, the type 1 sum of squares for x3 is sum of squares for x1, x2, x3. All that whole model. And you can see that that's not going to be incredibly useful. What's going to be nice and useful is the type 2 sum of squares. Sum of squares for regression for x1, given x2 and x3 are already in the model. Sum of squares for regression for x2, given x1 and x3 are already in the model. Sum of squares for regression for x3, given x1 and x2 are already in the model. Type 2 sums of squares account for unique variance only. So they're very useful in us determining does it make sense to put this in the model or not. Oh, hell no. No one does this as well. You can get... <laughs> I, when I was in grad school, we would get these printouts and it would tell us type 1 sums of squares 
for x1 and x1 x2 and they uh, nx1, x2, x3, and then the question will be, what are the like, two sums of squares for this? And you actually can calculate that if you know, but it's annoying. No one does it. The important thing is if you have a printout in front of you, you luckily you usually have to ask statistical software for type two sums of squares. It'll just give you type ones. It's like they're not really that useful. Because they're about the whole model. What I'd like to see. If I was making a decision, I'm sure I have a very good model enough, I want to see the type 2s. And that's usually an extra option you have to click. Right? So you have to click and say, okay, I want to see the unique variance accounted for by x1, by x2, and by x3, given the other two variables are in the model. Yeah, yeah I, I, nobody, no, I wouldn't do that. Put it this way. On the final exam, you're probably going to be given some stuff and in front of you it's going to say, the question will be like, what's the best model and why? So you will be numbers there, but I wouldn't make it cash. Let's say. Question. You look at the half of their image. Okay, good. I, I can't remember if you've already told us. Okay. Will the final exam be open to Of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Are we going to no computer grades? So we're not going to be doing any SPSS. Oh, God, no, I'm not going to be doing Look, the course is about statistics. SPSS is like a tool. That would be like saying, in a creative writing class, make sure you use Microsoft Word. It's, it's a tool. You know, or you have to use a certain type of pencil. I mean, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't do that. I could give you a printout, perhaps, and say interpret it, but it would have all the information on it. That's all. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we will stop there and continue on this stuff on Tuesday. Thank you, everybody.
thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures in Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GAU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.